0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 186 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the entire crew this week. It's been a little weird the last couple weeks with traveling and sicknesses, but everyone's back. So, first off, Richard. Good to have you, Richard. How are you this week?
1: I'm doing well. What's up, guys?
0: Uh, Not much. Uh, Ready to talk some magic. And then, of course, back in hopefully healthy, Chris Van Meter. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm alive. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> alive Stories is good. of my
2: demise were exaggerated.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, so excited to have the whole crew back and we kind of have some scattered topics to talk about today Uh, not a ton of new news going on but we got a couple of product announcements we wanted to hit on a little talk about tournaments and you know the metagame hall of fame voting is due I think in a couple days and that's been a big topic so we're going to hit on that there's some tournament coverage news and then of course fish mail so we're going to kind of just bounce around and talk a little bit of everything but first before we get into it a quick uh, reminder that our podcast today is brought to you by spikesacademy.com the world's first e-learning academy for Magic the Gathering With classes from some of the best players in Magic's history Like PVDDR, Pauler, Vito, Dama, So you can check them out at SpikesAcademy.com Even get 10% off with the code Goldfish And uh, if you want to learn more, Spikes underscore Academy over on Twitter Can uh, lead you in the right direction So thank you to them for their support And with that out of the way Let's jump into it and start off with some fun news. We got a couple of product announcements today, Magic Game Nights and the gift pack. So uh, Richard, what are these products about?
1: All right, we have a new product designed for two to five players, Magic Game Night. It's five pre-constructed decks, uh, one from each color, and they're supposed to be similar to Planeswalker decks. And they're meant to be played in a multiplayer setting, two to five players, it's 40 bucks. It's, I'm guessing, supposed to be like a board game, you have some friends over, you're like, Hey, I have Magic Game Night, you all whip out these decks, and then you have a multiplayer game. So I, I, I'm guessing this is Wizards attempt to, you know, foster casual gameplay, kind of like a party game atmosphere.
0: So, uh, we've kind of seen this in the past. I think Arch Enemy is a little bit like that, from what I remember, where you get the decks out of the box and just kind of battle. What do you think about these board game-style Magic products? Like, on one hand, I think they're a really good idea, and I like the idea of them. On the other hand deck building and choosing your cards and personalizing your deck is like a big reason people i think are attracted to magic so like can magic work as a board game can you imagine one of these products being successful
2: so i think that like the big difference between what we're doing with this one and what happened in the previous iterations like arch enemy is it's everybody's playing against each other as opposed to setting up teams i guess if you will with Arch Enemy, like you did have to pick somebody to be the Arch Enemy. Um, I guess Plane Chase feels like a little closer uh, of an analog, but then you still have like the weird thing going on with the planes. I think that products like this are fun and have the potential to be successful. And in fact, I've even tried to make some of these types of products uh, here at Card Kingdom because like, the multiplayer, ready-to-play, out-of-the-box stuff doesn't really... Exists in an intro level thing from Wizards, and this is going to fill that void. So, at the very least, it's going to be an offering that that they didn't have before. I think it does have the potential to be successful, but it's not going to be with like already existing magic players. Like, if you already play magic, this probably isn't going to be for you. If you're like if you're excited for the potential of like dual decks or supplemental products to get cards for your existing Magic collection, this isn't going to be for you. But if you're the type of player that like gets the dual deck so you can play with your friends who don't have Magic cards, then this is going to be a perfect product for that type of player.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that. That's this product's not really for us directly. Like if if you can build a deck and you know about deck lists and you even know about magic websites, uh, you, you don't need this, you can just build your own deck. This is, uh, you know, I would buy this to keep it in my house, and when four friends come over and they maybe played magic, uh, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, or they might have heard of magic, you would bring this product and then everyone would have a deck and then you can play. So. It it's kind of like that as opposed to I'm gonna buy some singles and I'm buying this for value of whatever's in here, right? We don't actually have the deck list yet. So as a teaching product I really like it, but it's still really expensive. <laughs> it's still forty dollars. Like if we're gonna try to get the random person that goes into Target and, you know, they're they're looking at board games to plates and I like I I don't like forty dollars is not unheard of, but it's on the high end. Right? Like if this is just casual, fun, you know, not not your modern reprint set like why not just make it twenty dollars and actually hook players onto this and once they're hooked they'll go ahead and buy their thousand dollar modern deck or whatever but for for starting off it should be much cheaper right it should be you know twenty dollars for five people that's only four bucks a person you know you can just play it once and throw it away and you'd be fine with that right But forty dollars is a bit of an investment and I, I feel like, I don't know, is that just wizards getting you ready to spend a lot of money for magic? Or they, they feel like, you know, this this product is actually worth $40. It
2: it, it could be that they're just, like, putting some reprints in it. Like
0: but what, then... What Nexus uh, of Fate
2: is in this thing.
0: I think the, the thing is, uh, yeah, I feel like we get in that uh, kind of mixed direction thing then. Like... If they want established players to buy this, then reprints are going to be necessary. But if you're going for that absolutely new market, which... It seems like this is going for, because it feels like if you, like you were both saying, if you're already a Magic player, this probably isn't so much for you, but it's for the new player, and the new player isn't going to know that Nexus of Fate is $25 or whatever price it happens to be at the time, so I, I think I would like it better if it was a $20 product. I'm not a huge board game, like, aficionado, but I feel like $40 is kind of high-end if you're thinking of this as a board game, and if you're walking around Target or Walmart and thinking, oh, I'm going to just, like, grab a game, a new game to try out. The price tag might keep people from get- grabbing this game when there's another, like, $20 option that's sitting next to it. So... I don't know, it's a tough one Like, I do think if you want people like me or your Chris or Richard to buy the game then you do have to have some value in reprints on there and maybe that's why the price tag is what it is but for a new player I think you're almost better off with those like free welcome decks that they'll give away at the local game stores, like make them as, as cheap as possible, sell it for as cheap as possible and hope that those random people just like decide to grab that when they're choosing a game that they're going to play once or twice off the Shelf at Target or Walmart.
2: Now there is like another demographic that I think that this would be perfect for, and it's it's not an easy group of people to actually have a product that would do well with. So I think that this will have a lot of what's going for it. But if you can imagine, uh, you're the parent of a middle schooler who has a bunch of friends that play magic, and you want to have like a magic-themed birthday party where everybody can play magic like $100 dollars for a booster box is quite expensive to get a draft going. But if you could get you know like this game night and a dual deck and then your you know, your kid and their friends can sit down and play magic, then that is an, just another void that's being filled by this type of product, which, which is important. like that is something that they should be keeping in mind when they're designing these things.
0: And I have to say, I really like that it has literally everything you need to play out of the box. That's one thing that I thought was kind of weird in the past with someone like the intro decks and planeswalker decks. Is yeah, they're geared for new players, but you don't necessarily get the life counter and the plus one, plus one counters and reference cards to teach you how to play. So I do really appreciate that they're trying to make this so you can literally have everything you need to play a game of Magic if you buy this product. When not all the new player products in the past actually hit that mark. Like sure you at the cards but do you know how to use them and what do you use if you need to put a plus one plus one counter on something and how do you keep track of your life so i do like that that innovation with this product
1: so question for you guys say you own this product and you have some friends over and they're brand new at magic would you sleeve up these decks or would no. you play the cards without sleeves
0: no we, i would i would play without sleeve i actually i have arc and uh, arch enemy nicole uh, thanks to you doing an opening video, and I had uh, a couple of people over that never played Magic, and we just we played unsleeved. I think that that's probably fine with a product like this.
2: I look for any reason I can to play with Magic cards unsleeved, so absolutely <laughs> not.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this should be unsleeved. But at forty dollars, it feels so wrong. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh. You know, you hey. know those people that go to um, like pre-releases. And then they they try to get that like point zero zero one percent edge. They have like Teferi and Karn or something in their draft deck, but they don't sleeve it up, so they look like a noob. <laughs> or they're just playing it. I'm like, why are you doing this? Right, like
2: yeah, the pl- the plus one plus one counters could be like made yeah. out of quartz or something. Like we don't know. <laughs>
0: so the other question I have for this is, uh, what are you expecting as far as actual power leveling cards? Like they mentioned Planeswalker decks. Is that where our expectations should be set? Where Planeswalker decks, they have essentially zero good reprints. Like, there's no value in those. The value is the new Planeswalkers, and I guess is the value in the cards that go with them, like the Planeswalker Tutor cards. Is that what we're expecting here? Should we be expecting it to be, like, Arch Enemy, where there were some high-value reprints? When you saw it, you're like, oh, there's a Time Warp, there's a Grim Lavamancer, there's some stuff that will get me my money back. So, so where do you uh, come down on that end of things?
1: I would be shocked if there's anything of any value in here. Uh, my guess is they're probably even worse than Planeswalker decks, uh, but you know, think welcome decks, but maybe a little more cohesive, like you'll get some Sarah Angels and things like that. But I would be shocked if there was like, I don't know, like any mildly standard playable card in here that's worth like over over like a dollar.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the $40 is a lot if you think about it, right? But a lot of the value is coming in with, with getting like the tip cards, the life counters, the plus one, plus one, minus one, minus one, minus one counters. I assume if anything makes tokens, they'll have tokens. But I think that tokens are like a little more next level as far as for a new for a new player. Um, compare this to some of the other like new player decks out there in the market. Um, Fortunately, I work for Card Kingdom, so we can just use the, our Rookie Decks. Uh, we sell those um, for $6. Uh, so if you look at this, if, to get five of those at $6, you know it would be $30. And then $10 on top of it being an official product, coming with all of these extras. So price-wise, it really isn't outside of the realm of possibility. Um, but when something like this is comes from wizards and it's official and can have new cards in it then there's always going to be this expectation that you know already entrenched magic players are always going to either look for a reason to buy it or look for a reason to complain about it and not buy it so they're, they're just kind of stuck with this double-edged sword.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, an interesting thing, and I like to see Wizards uh, giving new things for new players, so uh, I'm fine with it. I'm not overly excited about it for me personally, but I'm hopeful that maybe maybe it'll be good for those new players and draw some people into the game. We also got a- another product announcement. The gift pack is back and updated uh, for 2018 or 2019. Both of these products uh, are for the holiday season. I think they release in November. I don't think it was set an exact date. So, Richard, Corset uh, 2019, it's a gift that just keeps giving us more oh and God. more
1: exclusive promos. <laughs> every season, They apparently gift packs need to be changed every season. They change the formula. So, right now, the gift packed four boosters... 5 premium lands, a spin-down die, and 5 creature cards exclusive to the gift pact. And these will be considered part of Core Set 2019, so they'll be standard legal, they'll rotate, but they suck. (laughs) So, for example, we have Angelic Guardian, 6 mana, 5-5 flying, it's white. When one or more creatures you control attacks, it gains Indestructible. You have a 7 mana, 5-7 blue turtle, that's hexproof and creatures your opponents control uh, attack each combat if able and you have one for each color and they're basically like 6 plus drops with very disappointing abilities so it's made for new players and you know if you if you get this you can put it in your standard deck and play but I highly doubt any serious standard player would go out and seek these cards to to put in their deck uh, they're even less playable than the planeswalker deck cards uh, but 5 new lands they're by my can't oh wait no it's it's five different artists they're not the same artist but they look pretty sweet they're foil
0: i don't actually think they're actually new it says uh they're art that you've seen before but all shiny and cool so i think they're they're old arts but kind of updated with the m19 set symbol and in foil so
1: and they've gone pokemon style this box looks gigantic so when you go when you go to Walmart or Target, you should be able to see it. It's like a huge box. And MSRP, 1999. So four packs, five exclusive creatures, five premium lands, spin down for twenty bucks.
0: I mean that's not a
1: horrible deal when you consider
0: the big box stores are selling boosters for four dollars a pack. Anyway, that's just the four packs to sixteen dollars. So if you look at it from that perspective, and you get five exclusive cards, five new ish lands and a life counter. I mean, I don't think it's a horrible deal for, again, coming from like the new player perspective. The someone that, uh, a parent is walking through the line at Walmart or Target and we're like, oh, my kid kind of likes magic. You see the booster packs for $4. You see this for $20. I could imagine grabbing that from that perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just another thing. It's (laughs) low-hanging fruit. Uh, I wish that they would kind of figure out how they want it to be and then just keep it the same so it's not something different each time because that just is a little exhausting to me um i i'm I'm of the mindset that like designing these cards for new players and being standard legal is probably something that they just shouldn't do that way they could make cards that don't suck purposefully like to try and hook (laughs) hook, hook new players although to be fair just like any big creature is going to be exciting for somebody that's just learning how to play so I mean I guess that's fine it's just I don't know this type of product unfortunately isn't something that I'm super passionate about either way
1: I mean these are all bombs right so if you're actually just playing with a bunch of boosters like these are bombs like if you're drafting you would like draft these cards so of
2: course they're 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 bad in the
1: context of you know, standard. But to a new player, these are actually pretty good. The one thing I do notice is the packaging is different. It's like a a blister pack. And in the older versions of gift packs, you actually had a storage box. And uh, I know they they didn't really hold up, and there's so many videos on YouTube of them just like cracking and breaking apart as soon as you put weight on them. But I always thought that was a cool thing for a new Magic player, they'd have a box to store all their cards. Uh, but this one kind of does away with it, and it just looks like it's a big blister pack, so I don't know why they went away from the the storage box route. Maybe it would just no one actually used it. they just threw it out anyway.
0: yeah, I mean, if it was that low quality, maybe it's a good thing that it doesn't it's not there like if you're gonna make it make it good and make it worthwhile so i I think I'm gonna revise my argument slightly against exclusive promos. If we're gonna keep doing this like every three months, it's gonna become very annoying to remember what is in Standard all the time. Like, I run into this on Magic Online sometimes. I think one of the cards was Disperse. Like, I randomly got Disperse, I was like, wait, Disperse isn't... That wasn't in standard. This was like six months ago, but apparently it was in like a welcome deck or something. so technically it is in standard. So I think the that, that having these cards like m nineteen cards that aren't really in the sack coming out six months after m nineteen it adds just a lot of confusion to what is actually in the format and what is not in the format.
1: I'm actually very curious when you're when a pro player like someone you know Hall of Fame status plays. Do they know all the cards from the Welcome deck? Are they playing around dispersed in case someone actually has it? Because, you know, you, you know most of the tricks and stuff from Limited and whatnot. So, like, you have a pretty good idea of even, like, the jankiest of commons because of Limited play. But, like, things like Welcome Deck cards and these promos... Like, you probably actually never play with them, so do they actually have them in mind when they're thinking through their lines and working through these things?
2: I I basically always play, like, Disperse is legal at all times, so it's never going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> so so but before we move on, uh, out of the
0: five new cards, just give me your favorite. I know they're all not really standard playable. Which one do you like the most by whatever criteria you want to use?
1: Rampaging Brontodon, I think it... It's a 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven trample, and it attacks gets plus plus 1, plus 1 for each land you control. And I think players will be excited, because it's basically a 14-14 the first time it attacks. And it's the splashiest of things, because they're not going to care about the tempo gain of destroying a creature, or the card advantage of a mortal phoenix and things like that. They'll just be like, 14-14, huh, you're almost dead.
0: <laughs> I, I think for me... Uh... Vengeant Vampire is a six mana 4 4 with lifelink, and when it dies, you get to destroy a creature an opponent controls and you gain four life. When I saw this card, I realized people have been asking me for like two months now, what are you going to do when Panharmonicon rotates? I really want a reverse Panharmonicon now that triggers on death triggers, like the same exact card, but instead of when it enters the battlefield, it's when a creature dies, you double the trigger. Because Vengeant Vampire would be perfect with a reverse Panharmonicon. <laughs>
2: Uh, Vengeant Vampire is also my favorite, but it's certainly not because of this fictional panharmonic. <laughs> <encore>. <laughs> I just, I think that it, Life Link, it, it, especially when it comes to like teaching new players, I think that Life Link is one of the most challenging mechanics to to grok just how good it is. So it's like, it's easy to understand, oh, lifelink, when it hits stuff, I gain life. But the value of that is wildly different depending on the texture of the game uh, and opportunities to kind of teach that Uh, to new players i think is great Uh, there are a lot of aha and level up moments when you realize just how good or bad lifelink can be in certain situations
0: all right let's move on and touch quickly on the tournament scene so gonna ignore standard for the time being Uh, standard kind of is standard it's gonna be changing in a month or so also uh, by the time we cast next we should have our first Guilds of Ravnica previews. I believe there's a preview show from PAX this weekend, so time to get hyped for new standards. So we're going to ignore that, but there was a bunch of Modern over the weekend. A huge Modern GP uh, over in Europe with almost 2,000 players. SCG Modern Open. So any thoughts on the Modern metagame, the tournaments over the weekend?
2: Uh, Well, the format is super diverse. Uh, We saw a ton of decks. Um, It seems that... (coughs) people still love humans. There are a handful of people still playing KCI. Hardened Scales is coming back into favor. Um, Monogreen Tron did well uh, this weekend in the hands of Annalise, so congratulations to her. Um, I, I don't really have more to say about Modern. I feel like it's just, there's like literally 30 different decks that you can play, and any deck is, you know, one standard deviation away from top 80 or winning a tournament, so just pick one and get really, really, really good at it. Uh, as for Standard, uh, we are going to skip it, but I do want to point out that what's happening now is the same thing that happened at the end of the last Standard season, where everything always comes back to just these blue-black mid-range decks, because the Scarab God always is, always has been, and always will be friggin' busted.
0: <laughs> I, I will be glad that the gods are gone i think beyond the brokenness of kaladash i think hazrat and scarab god are the two cards that uh, i actually like them at one point but it's just been so long that they've been so good i will be very happy when i don't have to worry about them in standard even though i loved playing scarab god for a long time because it it's a it's just a really powerful card
2: the other really really weird thing this weekend is we saw bant spirits and blue white spirits put up some decent results in in a couple different tournaments. So again, it's literally the Wild West. You can just play whatever you want.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. I've been following kind of this spirit saga, and we still haven't really figured it out. Like, everyone realized once Supreme Phantom was printed that spirits have a lot of potential in modern but it's been more than a month now a month and a half since uh, Corset 2019 came out and we still haven't determined whether bant or blue white is better it's basically collected company versus ether vial which is funny because that was essentially the same debate with humans at one point a long time ago like you were going back and forth between like these abzan collected company builds and the five color ether vial builds and eventually in that case Ethervile Vial won out, but it'll be interesting to see uh, over the next months what happens, because I think it's pretty clear that Spirits have the power to be a tier deck in the Modern format, which might not be saying much, because like you said, there's so many playable decks in the format, but I think eventually one of those builds will win out, and I really don't know which one it'll be.
1: Yeah, I feel like Modern is kind of like legacy now in that you can show up with like any random pile of cards and and do pretty well and you know there's always going to be the quote-unquote top decks but when you sit down at a large tournament you know you're gonna have to be prepared to play against some modern deck you heard about three years ago you don't really know how it quite works but you know it's got an update or something now and I feel like that's where it is it's just so diverse and you can play anything you want and do relatively well, right? So I, I feel like Modern is, is kind of where it should be at, in, in the sense that you can use Magic's entire card pool from the Modern era and you know, build whatever deck you want and then it'll be quite reasonable. As long as, you know, you you have a good mana base and you have, you know, whatever staples you need from your color. So it, it's actually pretty cool that Modern is taking the role that Legacy used to have. Now that Legacy is not as accessible, uh, Modern seems to be kind of taking that spot.
0: And I just got to point out, it seems like Jace's time might have actually come. If you look at this GP eight of the top 32 decks are blue-white control decks. I think it took, you know, changes in the meta. It took, arguably, the printing of Teferi. But we have finally reached a point where blue-white control with Jace is like arguably the best deck in Modern, and it's been years since the heyday of, like, Jeskai Control being a real deck in Modern, so uh, for a long time, I remember, like, six months ago, or a year ago, we were having conversations about how hard it was to have a Control deck that could compete with the the vastly wide metagame of Modern, but I think we got there. I think we finally got there, where Control is a not only a legit deck, but arguably the best deck, or at least one of the very top-tier decks of the format.
2: So I think that it's it's, the, it's even a little broader than the points that, that you push on it. Is It's like a perfect storm of things. Field of Ruin vastly contributes to it um, for the ability to interact with creature lands or utility lands unconditionally, which is awesome. <clears throat> but also a lot of it has to do with people finally shedding the mortal coil that is playing Serum Visions and embracing how awesome Opt is going all in on Terminus and just playing these busted cards. Like why why be normal when you can use Terminus? And Terminus is, is a lot of what allows them to handle some of these unfair ish decks, right? Like a deck like Bridgeline would be Terrible news for a blue eye control deck of the past, but now that they're leaning so heavily on Terminus, they always have an out to these busted openers that these opposing decks can have. So I think that that is a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of the success is moving, like pushing down your potential fundamental turn. Like you don't have Force of Will to keep things in check, but you can just opt into Terminus and win the game.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I like I like the meme-heavy uh, to fairies carrying Jace here. Jace's not good enough, but Teferi, Teferi can come carry Jace into some top eights. <laughs> uh, n-
2: not only that, but if you also look at these blue-white decks, um, and we're even seeing it reach somewhat into Legacy and even Vintage, but Search for Iskanta is probably like one of, if not the best cards that have, that has been printed in the last handful of years. That card is absurd.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean... We might be going back to the Delve cards. As far as a card that's been so impactful for older formats, I think you might go back to, like, Dig Through Time slash Treasure Cruise is the last time we've had a card that was that strong for Modern and Legacy. All
1: right. If you had to choose the best card out of uh, Blue-White Control, what would it be? We've talked about Field of Ruin. We've talked about Search for Uh Let's not forget... Cryptic Command, we have Terminus, we have our Planeswalkers. What What do you think is the most broken card in that deck?
0: Uh, Snapcaster Mage. No, I don't think it's any contest, so that's the best card.
2: Yeah, I think Snapcaster Mage is probably the best card in Modern.
1: Hmm. I'm going to say Field of Ruin. Ooh! Ooh! Field of Ruin is, a, like, when I first saw Field of Ruin, I'm like, okay, you know, you get a land, but, you know, you've always had Tech Edge and Ghost Quarter. But the fact that they can deal with any land while not going down in mana is a big deal, and they can also fix their mana. Sometimes even fixing their mana, yeah. Yeah.
0: And shuffling with Jace, like it is, it is so much better than Ghost Quarter. It is really good in those decks. That's a that's a good kind of dark horse pick. I would not have thought of Field of Ruin, but that's a there's an argument. I think. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on from the world of tournaments and talk a little bit about. Hall of Fame. So we are in the midst of Hall of Fame season. I think ballots are due this Wednesday, so two days from now, and we will have the ballots in. We'll find out, I believe, at the next Pro Tour uh, the, the winners and who actually gets in. So any thoughts on the Hall of Fame in general or any of the happenings this year—we've had a lot of squabbling amongst the pros, weird accusations like "oh, this guy stalled against me." I think maybe like a decade ago, but I didn't call it. Judge—it's uh, been—it's been wild. The Hall of Fame conversation. So, thoughts on the Hall of Fame?
1: Yeah, you know it's Hall of Fame season when you see pros just slinging dirt at each other like left and right. Like I—I I don't know if I ever see this in any other sport. Like I maybe I just don't follow them close enough, but the number of accusations and, you know, the defense articles and everything. And I'm like, I think we should be celebrating magic, but here we are, we're just like slinging dirt at each other. So I don't, I don't know. But I did see a couple interesting points that people talked about in general, not about specific players, because I, I don't really know. But should non-pros be voting Uh, for the pro hall of fame in other words you know if you're someone that doesn't play with these players or you don't play at a high level of magic should you have a say in who is in or out of the hall of fame
0: i mean i'm probably biased because i'm one of the non-pros that is voting for the hall of fame but to me it makes sense if you look at other hall of fames you don't have the players voting for it. It's the writers and the people that cover the teams and the media. So I don't know. It doesn't seem strange to me, but like I said, I might be biased because I'm one of those people that gets a vote because of it.
2: So my, my whole thing with the hall of fame and I like have not been vocal about it on social media because it's not really a big conversation that I want to get into with people. But I feel like that as challenging as wizards makes it to be a professional magic player that all of these small like daggers people are throwing and like oh well he ha- he only has 3 pt top 8s and not as many top 16s yada 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 like If anybody is, like, even potentially in consideration for the Hall of Fame, like, just get them in. Like, it's so hard to be a professional Magic player. It doesn't... It's not taking anything away from anybody because Wizards already just, like, doesn't support the pro Magic players very well. Like, I feel like we're arguing over who gets the last, you know, three strips of spaghetti when you just give some to everybody. Like, it it really just feels childish, I guess, is the best word for
1: it. The problem is there's a monetary amount attached to it, right? They get free invites to pro tours. They get like um what like do you call it? They, like reimbursements or you they know. They com-
2: they completely overhauled it. Like that's this is the reason you don't see Kai going to all of the stuff. Like they only get like only one of the PTs to they to they actually right. get a flight. Like it's it's been scaled down so much that it's 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 like they get a cool ring and there's the ceremony and they get to be in the hall of fame, but it's not like they're it makes it if you vote somebody to the Hall of Fame, it's not like all of a sudden no, I can afford to go to all these tournaments. Like, they can't. Like, it doesn't It doesn't give that to them. But what it does is it brings out all of these people that are voting for their friends, making arguments why somebody should be in and somebody shouldn't be in. Like, I, it, it just. it just all feels very inconsequential to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Mm-hmm. That does make sense. I would like to see, and I've written and talked about this before, but personally, I would like to see it be the Magic Hall of Fame. I think it's silly that Brian David Marshall, uh, Richard Garfield, Mark Rosewater, like some of the great non-players that really made Magic what it is uh, aren't considered for the Hall of Fame. So I would like to see it go more that direction and take the pressure off of uh, pro-infighting over top 8s and friendships and stalling a decade ago and, and try to make it more just like a celebration of what is good in Magic and part of that is the players, but make it, make it less about the results and more about the people that make Magic a great game and a great community.
2: I agree, like I would like to see it be something like that and you could even take away the monetary aspect of it like have it just be like they're immortalized in. And- in magic part of the hall of fame, you know, make something where they can be like part of decisions or whatever, but take away the the monetary and the competition benefits for it so that it truly is just focusing on people that have done great things or have been good at magic.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see actual criteria. Right? Like there there's no criteria today and you know, if we're going to say it's strictly performance based, you know, how many top 8s, how many victories, how many pro tours, how many grand prixs, then there should no there should be no vote Right, like someone reaches the numbers they're in right but the problem is we say oh but what is their contribution to the community uh you know which which cannot you know you can't actually quantify that uh you know you say that's important but then you have people saying you know they contributed greatly but they don't have enough uh top eight appearances and then it's this like wishy-washy thing and then it eventually gets to like you know why someone like BDM not in the Hall of Fame they don't have the results but if we're talking about community contributions how can you argue against that and there's like no real criteria right it's just people voting for who they like and I I don't know like how to fix that aside from actually putting criteria on the table or just removing all criteria right like Chris said you know if you're in consideration for this you're just in right? or if people like you you're in or if you reach reach certain stats you're in today it's just kind of like uh you know who am i best friends with let me vote for them you know let me let me prop them up with good tweets and let me push everyone else down with bad tweets so that we we can optimize the chance of getting them in and it it just makes for feel bads it doesn't feel like a celebration of magic it feels like we're just slinging dirt and fighting over petty things when uh, you know, in most cases, uh, all of these candidates are very well deserving.
2: Not only that, but th- there is a bit of a regional bias for it. Like mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of the the most vocal people about about all of this are Americans, um, and th- that's just like what is being brought to people's attention, right? Like, not only that, but you'll y- you'll notice that there are a lot of uh, when it comes to talking for or against. Americans tend to be vocal, both for and against, whereas the other nationalities sometimes are vocal, but usually only tend to be for. So it just feels like there's this weird, like, I don't even know if bias is the right term, but it just feels, it feels a bit uneven, to be honest.
0: And because, like, technically there is a criteria, it's just really vague, and there's not much guidance on how to weigh it, but it's, it's player performance, players ability, integrity, sportsmanship and contributions so those five headings are what you're supposed to base it on but you can fit basically anything under those categories especially like contributions, integrity like those are very subjective and it's very hard especially with non-Americans, or non-North Americans, I guess, that don't get as much coverage, you don't necessarily see all the GPs and hear all the stories, like, how do you know about the contributions they're making to their community uh, in Japan? Or, like, Willie Adel's a great example. Like, his story did come out, and his huge contributions to brazil were pretty well known but you kind of know a lot of the americans because they're covered so heavily writing on websites that you're reading here in english but you don't necessarily see that and i think it does put non non non-english speaking let's say candidates at a at a disadvantage whether it's intentional or not i think it definitely does end up doing that anyway uh Yeah, I mean, I just hope Pakula gets in. I'm a big Pakula supporter, and I think it's, uh, for me, stuff like that, uh, non-gameplay contributions, and I guess it was just arguing for opening up even more for non-gameplay contributions, but I really think with all the stuff we've seen with cheating and stuff lately, if there was ever a time to get Pakula in the game, uh, in the Hall of Fame, this is probably the year to do it, because I think there's really an argument that, Magic would not be a game if it wasn't for some of the the contributions that Pakula made back in the 90s. Just reading... If you ever get a chance, read over some of the old Magic message boards, which you can still find from like the late 90s. Magic was a wild west back then. Not just in gameplay, but the Magic internet. So it is... It was a different world back then, and I don't know if we would have the game where it is today, being on Twitch and 20 million players and all that stuff, if it wasn't for Chris and whoever went along with him, like, taking the stand against cheating and integrity in the game, so. Anyway, any more Hall of Fame thoughts, or should we we move
2: on? Uh, I think we should probably move on.
0: Alright, <laughs> so... so So, before we get on to Fishmail, one other topic. We got some interesting coverage news. So, this weekend is GP Richmond, which is one of the big double GP weekends, and for coverage, starting on Friday for the Legacy event, rather than shuffling random people at the top tables in and out of the feature match area, coverage is going to follow Reduke every single round from start to finish, and... Even more impressive, uh, when he is playing the backup feature match, the time walk match, he's going to jump into the booth and do commentary on his match. If he's in the main feature match, he will talk about his match afterwards. So it's basically all Reed Duke all the time following one player from start to finish through the tournament. So what do you think of this new take on Magic coverage for GP Richmond?
1: It's bold. (laughs) I I don't know if it's going to go well. Like, let's say he starts 4 do you still want to see this? Let's say he doesn't actually start 0-4. Let's say he goes, you know, 7-0. Do you want to see basically the same deck all the time? I, I don't know. I And, I, you know, what if you actually don't like Reed Duke? What if you're one of those weird people and you don't universally like Reed Duke? Like, do you want do to those, see this? Do those people yeah. <laughs> really
2: matter? Let's be honest. <laughs> if you anyone... don't like Reed
1: Duke, do you really
2: matter?
0: I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone that did not like Reed Duke. I'm not convinced those people exist, actually.
2: Like, even his opponents are like, oh man, I lost, but Reed Duke's great every time. So, like, I think that Legacy is the perfect format to do this with. A huge variety in games. Like, I I, very, I highly doubt there's going to be very many games that just all play out the same. I'm curious to see what deck he plays. So, at the Team Unified Pro Tour, Reed was in the, the Legacy seat and he played Grix's Control. So, it's possible that he just ends up running that back. Um, which I think would be fine. Like, it's a pretty dynamic deck. Games play out differently. You sideboard wildly differently against the different archetypes. So I think that they're doing it with Legacy. It's great. Had it been Standard, just a uh, snooze fest. Come on, like we just want to watch the same deck. We're going to see the same deck, anyways, even with different players. Um, but doing it with with Reed, I think, is perfect. He's the perfect person to do this with. He articulates very well. He's very good at talking through his line of play. His, you know his mind is a, a steel box so he's going to remember everything and be able to talk about it after the match i think it's going to be really really cool what we'll all pull it together i think will be any of the surrounding pieces of content like how they actually do it like i hope that they don't just kind of rest on their laurels and hope that this reduke show is going to be good enough like there still needs to be interviews talking with other people like just the normal type of magic content because I think that any type of new stuff that they want to try is going to be good because it needs to be proven first before they can sink more money into the budget for it. Because I could I could see down the line where they do this, but it's not just the only feature. Like let's say they have two streams running where one of them is all of the reduke stuff and then another stream is just like your normal coverage. So I think that trying things like this is very, very good, and I applaud them for doing it.
0: Apparently some other games do do that, didn't. I don't watch a ton of other games, but uh, apparently there are multiple streams for some games, where one is kind of the normal stream and the other just follows a specific player through the entire game, so I think it's a a cool idea. Reduke is the perfect person to do this with, and I think at first I was like, oh man, that's risky, what if he scrubs out? But... Then you just do normal coverage. Like if he goes 03 drop, like then you just have normal GP coverage and maybe Reduke is in the booth and everyone loves Reduke in the booth anyway. So, <laughs> exactly. It's uh, what can possibly go wrong. So, I think it'll be really interesting and I'm definitely excited for it. So, I think it'll be cool. My one concern is actually for Reed. Playing a GP is already a grind. I can't imagine playing a legacy GP and having to finish your match, run into the booth to commentate over your match until the next round starts, and then run back to your next match and do that every round through an entire GP. Uh, That sounds like quite the weekend, so hopefully Reed survives, because it's going to be a busy weekend for him, but I think it'll be very interesting from a viewer's perspective.
2: As long as they have have plenty of black coffee on tap, I think Reed will be fine.
1: Whether it works or not, I really like that they're actually trying something different. So you know, regardless of how successful it is, at least they're trying new things and learning, and you know they can improve coverage in the future.
0: All right. Uh, yeah, I think that's all. So let's
1: wrap up today with some fish mail. Get some questions answered. Richard, take it away. All right. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Sebastian Tans, I believe we've answered this before. Maybe we haven't. Stifle and Modern, do we like it or do we not like it?
0: Uh, I think we probably do not like it, but yeah, I don't know. We have stifles that cost two mana and they're not good enough. Would one mana break the format? I just think that it leads to this real swinginess where you get your turn one fetch stifled and you lose the game and that's, that's not necessarily fun gameplay.
2: I think it would be perfectly fine because Wasteland doesn't exist. I think Wasteland is the card that allows you to pressure alongside Stifle that makes it what it is in Legacy.
1: I think it would be pretty annoying to play against. Uh, I don't think it would break the format or anything, but I don't know if this is something we want modern players to deal with. Because, I mean, you could also just reprint Wasteland into modern. You know, it's not like... A waste, well, you know, just, everyone plays only wastelands and nothing else, right? The meta will just evolve and you'll have something else, but now modern looks like this. You have people wastelanding each other left and right. Like, do you want that for modern? And I feel like it's the same question for Stifle. People will use it as a 1nana stone rain. Uh, maybe occasionally it'll stop a Liliano or something like that, but do you want modern to look like that? But in terms of actual meta, it's probably fine. So
2: I don't actually think that
1: Stifle would be that good in modern and if
2: it ends up being that good then people would play less fetch lands and that's a win for me they should just print <laughs> all of the stifles so that nobody plays fetch lands
0: can, can you imagine though just like turn one stifle your fetch and then turn three snapcaster stifle your fetch and
1: <laughs> I mean maybe basically that's legacy fight, right Like you gotta make sure fetches. you fetch at the right time <laughs> uh,
2: yeah get, get good that's my response <laughs> <laughs> don't play lands what are you doing
1: <laughs> yeah Uh, Pastel. I want to play Moto Arena so bad, but they're only available for PC. When will Wizards release a version for us Mac users?
0: Uh, can't you, like, clone Windows on your Mac or something? Like, I I would look into alternate options because it's probably going to be a long time.
2: Yeah, you should be able to run it in parallels, right? Like, yeah people
1: can play magic online on their Macs. I mean Arena barely runs on PC, so let's not get our hopes <laughs> up. <laughs> like your computer is literally on fire like playing this card game. Like it's just not optimized. So your best bet is to install a virtual machine or use boot camp, buy a surface or something I don't know, but I wouldn't it's going to be a while if you want to play digital magic on a mac to be honest a surface is great like i highly recommend
2: if anybody is looking for an option for like that to get a surface that's my, my next big purchase is going to be a surface those things are awesome
0: i would assume that getting arena on mobile would be more important than getting it on mac actually yeah i think mac is kind of far down the list
1: Yeah, but that's so far. Like, Hearthstone took so long to go on mobile, and you don't just stick it on mobile, you gotta change the UI and do all of that. Like, how do you even view all this stuff on your, like, three-inch phone? So that's still very far away, in my opinion.
2: Not only that, but one of the big problems that Arena will have for being on mobile is, like... The mechanic of manually tapping lands does not translate well to that small of a of a screen and play field. No. Yes, so it's and that's going to be real awkward.
0: And the auto-tapper is, uh, <laughs> is not your friend. It is not your friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's not
1: a very good magic player.
0: <laughs> no, no it isn't. It's <laughs>
1: there to teach you how to play magic by doing the wrong moves, <laughs> so you learn. <laughs> All right, Streakus, what about rare... Fetchable tri lands that always enter the battlefield tapped. Would they see playing EDH? Uh, shouldn't they create them for a commander product?
2: Ah, uh, that would. Hmm. I guess that would be fine I, if
0: they always enter the battlefield tapped.
2: I think they'd have to be legendary.
0: Do you think they would see? Would that see play in modern or legacy, Chris? Maybe
2: as a one of in three color decks.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I guess you fetch I, it in a turn. I
2: still, I still kind of doubt it.
0: Yeah, I think, it, I think it would probably be fine. I could see playing them in Commander. I mean, I play somewhat budget-friendly Commander decks, so I play the normal Trilands if I'm playing like three plus color decks, but I think fetchable Trilands, if they always under tap, would be okay.
1: Yeah, aren't, aren't they strict? Doesn't everyone play the Trilands even in like super competitive decks that have three colors?
2: Well, there is, so like murmuring Bossk is technically a fetchable Triland, so like it Ooh. already exists.
0: That's true. Like, try Painlands. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Just do a cycle of Memorane Bosque. Yeah.
1: All right, next question. Z Shepherds, looking back, the last time Standard was super popular was when things like Thoughtseize were legal. Wizards could potentially make Standard more fun while also reducing the cost of Modern by just printing Modern staples in Standard. Thoughts?
0: I think that's um revisionist history yeah (laughs) (laughs) at the from what i remember at the time there were endless complaints in reddit threads and articles about thought Seized being miserable and not healthy for standard
1: yeah people complaining about pack rat people complaining about why play any deck because your card will just get thought seized anyway so we look back and think fondly, but I, I, if you actually think about it, there were a lot of complaints about WotC, and I think WotC has come out and said it was a mistake. Did they say that recently? That they don't I really think want said it was too good. So, like, yeah. if you actually good, think about yeah. it,
2: I feel like the last time that standard like was good and fun for everybody was like Innistrad RTR standard, and if you look at it like. Those are the modern staples that you're talking about, so rather than like reprinting modern staples, like, wizards could just like make cool new cards that make standard fun, but could also be played in modern.
0: I will say, though, like, I do agree with the spirit of that question, and I think we saw with Corset 2019, like, Scapeshift, Crucible of Worlds, those are examples of really expensive cards that see play in modern that aren't gonna be miserable in standard to the level of thought sees was, so I definitely am on board with more of those reprints. I just think you gotta be careful with what ones you choose, and I think Wizards is heading that direction. I think the reprints from Corset 2019 are an example of Wizards trying Trying to get more of those high-value modern cards in standard sets.
1: All right, next question: Real tap water, fetchable duels that enter untapped, but always draw your opponent a card. Broken, <laughs> unplayable, too good to print a common <laughs> in a supplemental set. Sort of illegal and proper. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I think they'd be rare. That's just kind of the historical precedent for dual lands. I think they would be significantly worse than shock lands. I think two-life is definitely a lighter payment than, than giving your opponent a card. Would they be unplayable? I guess probably, since you have shock lands and you have uh, dual lands. So I'm just going to go unplayable outside of standard, and so, maybe so even in standard. Here,
2: here's the, the reason why I think that this card these types of cards can never be printed. Uh, a, you, you would have to make it a May ability because you wouldn't want to have like a must ability on your land to make an opponent draw a card which could lead to like weird strategies that either affect that or killing your opponent by decking them and making them draw a card. Like, that's just like not something that should be on a land. And if you make it a May ability, it's something that you control which leads to like very weird game states where like on digital you're adding extra clicks and like real life class practice you're like playing a land and then have to remember to give your opponent the chance to draw a card and if you don't then technically it's a detrimental trigger for you and could be construed as cheating like it just rules wise and mechanics wise i think it's just way too mired to actually ever see print
1: yeah i think i'd play a guild gate over this like unless (laughs) unless you have like a Turn one combo deck, but for some reason you need the maximum number of dual lands that come and play untapped, and you're basically saying the land I gi- or the card I give you doesn't matter, which I think is actually very rare. I'd rather actually play a guild gate in commander. I might actually play this because you can choose who to give your card to, and you can, you know, there's strategy to that. You can build alliances, you can play politics with that, so that's not actually too much of a downside, but 1v1, like. I'd I'd rather lose the tempo of one mana for one turn than give someone a card, uh, unless I'm like just straight up trying to win on turn one or something. And we already have shocklands and we already have original duels, so I, I don't imagine I can't think of a scenario where you need the uh, the mana like that bad. So like,
2: not everything needs to be fetchable. lands are abomination. <laughs> Stop the shuffling.
1: <laughs> Get too much time. Someone doesn't like fetchlands. They just on the take podcast. so much time. <laughs> What do you think about a land that just fetches itself <laughs> and you just shuffle for no reason and get an entrance the battlefield land trigger? <laughs> <laughs> uh, MC Whiskey MTG, do you guys think that after the release of Arena, we'll see the development of two separate metas, a paper mono meta and an e-sporty arena meta? Perhaps the real cost of cards and wild cards will play into this. That's
0: a really interesting
1: question. Uh...
0: We almost uh, had
1: this, right, with Nexus of Fate? Where Nexus of Fate, you just swap in four Mythic wild cards on Arena and it was no problem. But during the Pro Tour, there was a big crunch to get paper and moto copies. And I don't know how much it actually turned out to be the case.
0: I think it goes both ways, though, because I've noticed if you play Arena shortly after a set releases, you're much less likely to see new decks and new cards compared to Moto, where everyone can just like trade in some stuff and buy the newest deck right away, because it's so difficult to build a, an entirely new deck if you don't already have most of the cards. So, I don't know. I don't know what would happen. Also, Arena incentivizes people to play aggro in its current form, so you can just, like, because there's no real downside to losing so you just grind as fast as possible so maybe maybe the metagames would uh, diverge yeah i'm curious to see what
2: happens and i honestly don't know because there really isn't another game out there that has the different fronts um that have potential competitive outlets that magic has so we're kind of in a new frontier here so to speak (laughs) speaking
0: speaking (laughs) of arena uh Have you seen any of the Reddit posts about how the clock works with Nexus of Fate on Arena? Apparently, uh, the way the clock works on Arena is you get a new set of time every turn. So if you're playing a Nexus of Fate deck, you never run out of time like you do with other combo decks. So there's been multiple posts from people who've played against Nexus of Fates with, like, mill and get their opponent to just four Nexus of Fates left in their deck. And their opponent has literally spent hours, like up to three or three and a half hours, just casting and drawing nexus of fates, hoping that their opponent will get tired of sitting wow. there and concede.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Is, is, is it Now, okay. <laughs> that sounds like a fun time. Like I would just concede and get my three hours of life back, but some people that are playing against like that not right. A bug, but <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, in Moto you would time out, and in paper, it would be a slow play, right? Or you wouldn't be able to do that in paper, but for some reason, Arena, the way it's set up, you can do it right now. Uh, so
2: in, in paper, how it would yeah, work if your deck was only four Nexus of Fate, and you had the mana to cast Nexus of Fate, uh, is it would just be a draw. Okay. okay. Because you, Well, you, that's you still don't better than three of hours of... State. Okay. That makes
0: sense. That's still better than sitting there for three hours. I might make a video of it. The three and a half hour casting Nexus of Fate video. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Sponsored by Spikes Next question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Grixis Gaming MTG. With all the talk about banned UW spirits, I wonder what the viability and power of Esper spirits might be. Black offers so much in modern and can really control the game. Thoughts? So
0: I think Black gives you Lingering Souls. Uh, So the question is basically Lingering Souls versus ether Vial versus Collected Company. Because none of those cards particularly work well with each other. Uh, I think right now it seems like... Lingering Souls is third on that list as far as what we've seen, but I think it's possible a Lingering Soul spirit deck could work.
1: Well, you also get Thoughtseize if you feel like it. You also have Removal if you want, and you have sideboard cards, but I guess since we were talking about so many colors, it doesn't matter. Like, you get Leyline of whatever the Graveyard, Leyline of the Void, but then if you're playing White, you can get Rest in Peace. So, like, and, you know, you have so many... We're talking about three-fifths of the color pie here, so... So, well, yeah I'm I mean, not too you already sure. have
2: path if you're playing white so it's like yeah. you have collected company and noble hierarchy I think noble hierarchy is a a big seller for the for the list um and then for the blue white list you have like more consistency with your mana and also ether vile so like I feel like lingering souls or what black adds just isn't more than enough from what you already get by basically already having white in your deck
1: all right Juzams to the plowshares is vendetta anywhere close to playable in any iteration of death shadows uh who knows what vendetta does
0: one mana destroy something lose life equal to its power is it toughness it is toughness you're correct yeah it is toughness non-black creature as well worth mentioning um yeah i don't know
1: seems risky we have fatal push if you really want removal right
0: Usually, Death Shadow decks do not have trouble getting their life total to where it was, and Fetchlands and Shocklands give you a lot more, uh, and also uh, the Cycler, Street Wraith, give you a lot more control over the amount of life you're losing. When Vedetta definitely could lose you more life than you want to be losing, or leave you with a card you can't cast in
1: hand. All right, last question. Martin LEV, could somebody with a Sandy Kufo esque, I don't know how to pronounce that name. <laughs> Uh, Magic Career, make the Hall of Fame. So short but very brilliant and cut short by circumstance and not having all the counting stats traditionally associated with the Hall of Fame.
0: So I think that was uh, probably Sandy Koufax, an old Koufax? baseball player. I think, yeah. Oh, there's um, no you
1: there. Yes, Koufax. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... I'm going to say yes. I think if you look at, like, Kai's peak, his three-year peak, if he only played for three years and did what he did in those three years, I think he would still be in the Hall of Fame. I think you have to have an insane career if you're only playing for a short period. Uh, it would have to be very, very off the charts, but I think it is possible. I agree.
1: But how short is short? Is it, You said three years is short for Kai, but... That seems like a long time to me. <laughs> uh, well,
0: I mean, there's no way you could do it. I think if you... Let's say for one year you won every Pro Tour. I'm not sure that you would get into Hall of Fame. If you played for one year... Well, no, you would no, absolutely pro
1: Tours. get into Hall of Fame. I, I think you would. I mean, just stats-wise, <laughs> by yourself, I think you would. But let's say right. you somehow dominate... Let's say for like a... Six month period, you won every Grand Prix and every Pro Tour and you know Worlds or whatever whatever those tournaments are there. And then you you disappeared off the face of the earth. Maybe you had to go work your real job or something, right? Like some circumstance and you didn't just become washed up, right? You actually had to leave Magic. Would you would you be considered for the Hall of Fame?
0: <sighs> Maybe. I also think, as weird as it sounds, it would depend on why the person left. Uh I think if someone had a run and then passed away, they might be more likely to get in compared to someone who just uh, quit the game and stopped playing, when people would be like, oh, I mean, apparently didn't actually care that much about Magic, because they only played for six months, so I don't know, I think it's possible, uh, but six months, it's hard for me to imagine being able to, I i mean, I guess if you won literally everything in that six months period, but it would have to be pretty insane.
1: Yeah. All right. That's all our fish mail this week. Thank you for everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG and we'll get to your questions on air.
0: And I think that brings us to the end of episode 186 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Chris, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Spikes Academy for their support. Check them out at spikesacademy.com, 10% off with the cold goldfish. So, have a wonderful week, everyone. We will be back next week, hopefully, with some guilds of. Ravnica spoilers. Until then, this is the crew signing out.